Today's episode is a homeschooling and bacon feature episode with Hester Van Braden of Classical Education Books and Homeschooling Mother of Four. Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. In 400 meters... In 100 meters... You have reached your destination. Welcome to the podcast today, and thank you so much for listening. Joining us is Hester Van Braden, homeschool mom of four and the co-founder of Classical Education Books. Hester, what can you add to that introduction? Tell us about your family and your homeschooling journey. Hi, Rowan. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on here. It's great to be with you. I am a second-generation homeschool mom, and I have four kids. I do work uh, with my husband in business with homeschooling curriculum. We also have a painting contracting business that works locally. Uh, so we're, we're kind of busy. Uh, homeschooling is a very big part of our lifestyle that we uh, live alongside our children. You have an amazing website, by the way. We're going to link that at the bottom of the show notes. Well, thank you. So you've already answered what I was going to ask next, which is that you are the co-founder of Classical Education Books. So you run that business. And then your family also has a painting business, you said, while you've been homeschooling your four children. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you face juggling essentially two or maybe three jobs? There are a few. I think one of my biggest challenges is to be present in my family um, and not use my business as an escape sometimes from dealing with tough situations. For example, um, if, if, if I've dedicated, if I'm working on the business in, in, within the time slot that I've dedicated to my business and my children need me for, a, you know, they have a blowout somewhere, it's very easy to go, well, I can't deal with that right now because I have to pay attention to this or that aspect of my business. Whereas my children really do require my first attention. So I have to learn to sort of leave that, whatever I'm doing for my business, that can be put away for now because my children need my attention. It's it's a tough thing to uh, love doing what I do, but having to deal with what I don't necessarily want to deal with all the time. And yet those things are so important. And, and it really does come down to the, the second biggest challenge that I have, which is time management. So if I make sure that my children have my time, they have me, then it comes to fewer problems, fewer issues that I need to pause to deal with. Um, but those are, those are some pretty big juggling um, acts that I need to work on. 
Yeah, it sounds like you have actually some, like you are managing your time when you have time set aside for your business. And even though it's not always ideal because you have to be able to be flexible still within that window of time, it sounds like you do have some dedicated work time. So it sounds like you're, you are managing your time. Most days, yes. <laughs> I try. And so do you use Google calendars or a daytimer planner, or do you have a more sort of, um, I would say a vague, like, you know, that, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to be that this is your work time. How do you manage your time? That Yeah, that's a good, good question. I actually, I believe in a routine, largely for the sake of my children. I know that for them, they thrive when they know what our daily routines are. So I have a calendar, but I also believe in paper and pen. I really despise my phone. Um, I despise how much it's taking over my attention and everything that I do is sort of revolves around my phone. You know, you want to take a picture, you grab your phone. You put music on, you grab your phone. You need to figure out what you're doing today, you grab your phone. So in order to get away from that, I use a paper calendar and a pen. For daily routines, I use whiteboard and whiteboard markers. And we do our routine. Uh, my, my school cycles three months studying, one month off. And we just repeat that. Everyone knows it's all written down in front of us. So everyone can see the plan. They can see the routine, when we're supposed to be sitting to do some work, when we have free time to play. And usually it's when the kids have free time to play, when they're either reading on their own or they have to do a project on their own. Something like that's when I take that time to sit down and, uh, and work within my business. So that's really neat how you have... I think you said three months on and then one month off of school. Yeah. That sounds very refreshing. Like it sounds like you're all never getting kind of burnt out on schooling because you have those scheduled breaks. Yeah, I ended up doing that for my own sanity. And I realized that it was actually really, really good for the kids. But I just had a hard time with the, the mental exercise of staying in the game uh, from September through to Christmas. And as Christmas came around, we sort of lost interest in these. And I just felt the mom guilt of not getting to the schoolwork. And, you know, then, okay, fine, we'll hit it hard in January, February, which was fine. But then the February slump comes along and you've got a long go to June. So I just pulled that back and put it into bite-sized chunks of three months. Uh, so the kids get that one month off, which lands with the other side effect that it landed on December being the whole month off. So we spent time focusing in on Christmas. What did we, we actually had a little home liturgy around ad pairing for Christmas this past Christmas um, instead of our regular school routine. And then April, we take that month off and we focus on Easter. And that's also tends to be the season of uh, high conventions as well. When I'm traveling with my husband and we're going to, to various conventions around the country. So that works out really, really well for me. Um, and in the meantime, the children get a break. I've seen incredible growth, actually, in their understanding, their knowledge of what we've studied um, during that one month off, which is something I completely didn't see coming uh, and what I'm extremely grateful for. That's amazing. And I love the idea of having liturgy around your holidays, because I think our holidays are often the reason why we homeschool. The things that we're celebrating at those times are the reason why we homeschool for many of us. And so it's not instead of schooling, it really is part of their education. That's right. Yeah. 
It's true for us. That's definitely true. Um, but I think that I think that when you homeschool, just no matter what your perspective, I think to just kind of fall into a, a routine is is just a necessary way of living um, out your your teaching your children. Yeah, because it is a way of life. It's not just only academics, right? Yes. Some people think that when we homeschool, we have to put all other aspects of our lives on hold for the homeschooling. What are your thoughts on that? I, um, before I had children, I had some pretty strong thoughts on uh, how I did not want to end up uh, being one of those moms who only talked about my kids and only did activities <laughs> part of and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. really wanted to be a whole person in the sense that I didn't lose my identity uh, in the life of my children. I also knew I was going to be homeschooling from, well, I guess being second generation, it just didn't cross my mind not to homeschool. For me, uh, it's been important to, um, my business has been an important side of my education or my identity. And I think it helps me be a better mother in some sense, because I want to have my eyes looking outwards as well as inwards. And my natural tendency as a mother is to love my children and to protect them and to teach them. I do love that aspect so much. But in order for me to do a good job of teaching them, I need to rem remind myself that I need to be educated, I need to be fed, and I need to be learning as well. And when you're on an airplane, they'll say, if the oxygen mask falls, put your own oxygen mask on first before helping anyone else. I think that I see um, my the way our business is structured and the way I've been learning through that as a, as a way of putting on my own oxygen mask, if you will, before I can have the sort of the mental space and the understanding to teach my children. I love teaching them so much, but it makes my own mind really hungry to know more. So while I am uh, working in my business, while I'm, I'm trying to understand more and more how to better educate uh, my children and children generally, and look at how it has been done throughout the ages, how it has changed over time, uh, just reading some of the educational philosophies. These things have helped me to grow in ways that I didn't know were even possible. And I think as a result of that, it's really benefited my children. So there is a way for sure that as a parent or as a mother, you can get caught up in the life of your children where you're just insular and they kind of take over. But I don't has to be at all. And as a matter of fact, I, I do believe from my own experience that the more we uh, educate ourselves as mothers and the more we keep ourselves involved in the world around us, the better our children's education will be. Because we're educating the whole person, right? It's not only academics are important, but it's not only academics because they're going to be growing up to serve uh, humanity in whatever way they're wired and called to do. So we need to be modeling something beyond just what we're doing with homeschooling, I think. Yes, I love that you just said that. I, I agree with that so much. Um, like you said, academics is a small part of who they are. Uh, I believe that firmly. And as a curriculum reseller, <laughs> I don't do myself a favor when I say, don't forget that there is so much more to education than there's real life. There's the circumstances that you have put your child, that you and your child are born into, that we live in. And that is as much as a shaping influence to your child as any textbook will ever be. As we look at textbooks, as we look at curriculum and the academics that are going to um, be absorbing our child's uh, attention, we have to under we have to see how that will serve that child in their life, in the in the situation that they have been brought into to live. Not 
just to, to fill up, up textbooks. Um, so that's something that's really important to me to communicate that we're not, I'm not just selling textbooks. I'm trying, I am communicating a lifestyle, a way to live, if you will, an attitude that, that's really important for our children to understand as well. That's so great. And can you just, I think we're going to have a whole episode about classical education, but just because we're touching on briefly the fact that you are the owner of classical education books, can you give us a brief synopsis of what you see as, you know, the definition of classical education or what that way of life is? Sure. Yeah, for sure. That's a big question. Classical education is in some ways not new. Um, it is an ancient path. It's a way that children and humanity has been learning since, well, for thousands and thousands of years. It's what classical education is doing is it's getting at the heart of a child. It's getting at the heart of our understanding of who we are sort of as humanity. We want to see our role in history. We want to cultivate, if you will, we want to cultivate wisdom and virtue through reading the great books, through looking at the past, uh, and then looking around in our own environment and the people that God has put into our lives and so that we understand what it means to be a human being. Uh, created in the image of God. We're not trying to teach our children to be little calculators. Necess- like that, that's not wrong to, you know, to, to study math or to study any of those things. But ultimately, what is humanity? Who are we as human beings? What is our goal here? I can really appreciate that. I'm a real history fanatic, as you know. I love history because it's, it is really the story of humanity. True history is, and where do we fit, and why are we how we are, and all of that sort of thing. And biographies are amazing to know how people just had character and virtue. And they were often for such a time as this in their place in history. Yes, yes. And we we can experience through history, through fairy tales, through story, we can experience what other human people, human beings have seen, have gone through, have had to face. We don't necessarily have to face um, celebration and achievement, how people have dealt with those things in the past. And that itself will shape our own responses to the world around us. That's well said. Can you tell us what a sample day would look like in the life of your homeschooling and your business? You touched on it briefly, but I don't want to say a typical day because homeschooling and typical don't really go together. Right. Yeah. um, Like I said, we do have some fairly strong routines here. And I try to stick to them as much as possible. Yes, there's always those days that fly off the handle, but generally we're fairly routine. We do have breakfast together as a family, which is immediately followed by Bible reading. The, the girls, um, my two oldest two can read fluently. They read a passage from the Bible, which we discuss, and that's the extent of uh, our Bible curriculum. I find discussion and narration are really helpful. Uh, so I use the model of narration with Bible study. And uh, from there, we move into personal, uh, which involves things like making sure your room is neat, making your bed, putting your clothes away, that laundry is all ready to be done or that it's put away, uh, you know, combing your hair, brushing your teeth, all those things. Uh, and they have they each have their own list of things to do, which is very important to me that they learn that those personal habits. Uh, and then from there, they launch into their book work. So they'll sit down. My girls will sit down and do their formal work, their math, their copybook, cursive writing, and things like that. In the meantime, I'm getting my boys who are a little bit younger. They're not. They're the oldest is three, so they're not 
into school that much yet. Um, I get them ready, make sure they're ready for the day. And I neaten up the house, kitchen gets straightened out. Everything's ready for the day. And then if I'm lucky, I get half an hour, 45 minutes of reading in. The boys are fed and clean and happy and playing. Girls are sitting at their desk doing work. I get to read. Making time for me to read has been so important for me because I can't, like I said, you can't pour out on your children if you're not being filled up yourself. So it's almost, they, the children know that unless there is a major catastrophe, do not bother mom when she has a book. And I just, actually, that, that we've managed to establish that. From there, I will, if it, if the girls are taking a little longer, I'll take a half an hour to check my emails, to do, to know, to check my calendar. So I know what's happening for me that day. Uh, and then we'll go into morning time. Morning time is something that um, I value probably the most in our homeschool. Uh, it's a time where we sit down together. I have prepared a basket full of material and books and ideas that we're going to go through. And we, we do that together. We sing together a folk song or it's a hymn or it's some sort of um, piece of music that I really want my children to be exposed to. We pray together and we teach each other. I teach them. We just go through various things, which I, I find are very important for the, for the children. It's like covering the humanities, things that I wouldn't normally do. After morning time, there's lunch. Then the baby goes down for a nap and it's free time for the older children. And at this point, I want them to do some hands-on things. They have Lego. They have coloring. They, have, they can go outside. And on nicer days, I'll actually tell them they must be outside for half an hour to 45 minutes. Just non-negotiable. Um, and that's also the time then where I have a little bit extra time to look to spend in the business. So I'll take about an hour, two hours, depending on how things go with the kids. And I'll then really focus in on my business, uh, see what has to be done. And from there, we do snack time. We do dinner prep. The kids are usually involved in dinner prep. Um, somebody's often baking cookies or bread or chopping with me or something like that. Uh, and then, of course, evening involves dinner with the whole family around the table and Bible stories and reading aloud just chapter books um, until bedtime. I love reading, too. I rob time from other things to read books. I can't get enough of them. Um, and I would love to fly across the country and attend your morning time. It sounds amazing. It's such a precious time um, for both me and my children. We just, we do a lot of talking. And as much as I have it structured, or I'd like to have it structured, we fly at the rest all the time. That's one thing that I'm not too strict about structure or or keeping on with the schedule because that's the time when little insights, you know, pop out of these children's heads and I really want to grab those and encourage those. So morning time is precious around here. I love it. I love it. Well, are you ready for the home stretch? Yes, I am. Before we get into the home stretch, I just want to say you have given us so many good ideas just in the short time, how you have your morning time basket, how you schedule your year and your day and all of the things that you do. So I just want to thank you and appreciate you so much for sharing those. I'm sure that some of the listeners will get some new ideas that will help them in their homeschool. So thank you. You're very welcome. I'm very happy to share. All right. What has been your worst homeschool moment? That that was when, uh, that's still a painful memory for me. When my oldest was sort of reaching the academic stage and I just felt like I need to get all the facts into their little heads. And I was mm -hmm. really concerned about a good job as a mother. And I just feel like I was way too keen and I was way too hard on my children 
to respond to my teaching. And I just feel like that that was probably the worst so far. I have a long way to go. So it's a little, little um, premature to be diagnosing my worst moments. So far, that's, that's where it was. Very similar to my worst moments as well. Just being almost overly responsible and focusing on getting things done and covering a certain amount of things and so on. Being overzealous with curriculum and yeah, I think it's a common one. Yes. <laughs> what has been your best homeschool moment? And if you can't narrow it down to one, that's okay. Well, I, I love this question because that would definitely go back to um, this structure of time that we've decided on where we study three months on and one month off. The best moments I have had were in that one month off where I was so anxious about not teaching my children for a whole month. How can this even work? And I just had to hold myself back. And then what I would see is these tiny little glimmers of insights pop out of my children. It was exciting. They, they're in their play they would reenact the stories we'd been reading or even mathematical concepts. You know, they're putting all these jars into each other and this is a teaspoon because it's fitting into the tablespoon and you can't put that quart into that pint. And you know, just the, the just listening to them play was so uh, good for me to understand how children absorb things, but they don't necessarily comprehend at a, level that they could tell you back in their own words what, what you're telling them it, it went in and it came out as play it came out as acting uh, as yeah as action and as the way they treated each other so for me that was just incredible balm to my soul yes I could see how it would be and it's almost like that time gives the children mental space to be able to almost process and apply the things that they have been learning yes that's certainly what I have seen in my own children's lives that's amazing now if you could go back and do things differently in your homeschool, what would you change other than perhaps that worst homeschool moment that we talked about? Mm -hmm. um, I would probably put in more read aloud time and less workbook time so early. Uh, and I do have the opportunity of changing some of that with my younger boys uh, where they will need some attention or my little three-year-old starting to say in the morning when my girls sit down, he'll say, mom, can I do some math? Please, mom, can I do some phonics? And so I will. I'll, I'll, I have very, very basic phonics, just singing the ABCs. And then I grab a book and read. And just read a lot of picture books and read and read. I didn't do so much of that with my older children. Um, so I would, I would definitely put in far more reading aloud, picture books, chapter books, um, as much as they could handle. And I tell you, to this day, I still have not read to the point where they told me to stop. So I don't know where that their capacity is. Yeah, my mom read to us so much, and it was amazing. And I read to all of mine, but I found once we started school, I didn't want to read them stories at bedtime anymore. <laughs> That's like bad mother material, but I had been reading with them all day. And so I turned them over to daddy for him to pray with them and tuck them in at that point. Yes, I think that's actually really important what you just said is like you turn them over to daddy because I think that's something too that I have to be really conscious about is keeping my husband in the loop, keeping him helping with the homeschool that he reads to them and he's involved with prayers and morning time too. Yeah, sometimes we're so busy being capable when in a way we can be maybe robbing our spouses of the opportunity to pour into the children, even though it's yes. their role as well. But sometimes we put more emphasis on 
our mothering role than on the instruction of fathers. Yes. So this is going to be a hard question for you to answer because you own a book company. What is one resource that you would recommend and why? Yeah, so my favorite resource, it's very difficult for me to uh, pick any one of them out because they're so good for so many different things. I, I don't know that I would say there's with one curriculum that would cover all the bases, but for our own experience right now, my favorite resource um, has been the elementary grade enrichment guides from Memoria Press. Um, they are what I'm using as the spine for our morning basket and what I go through in the mornings. Um, they integrate the seasons, they integrate the subjects. So while we're studying snow and we're studying poetry on snow and winter, we're listening to Vivaldi's winter, his musical piece called Winter, uh, and everything just comes together. We're covering all the, all the all, one subject through all the humanities. So that's been just amazing for us. And, and and I would also say Latin has been amazing. We study song school Latin for young children, which it helps them to fall in love with this idea of a new uh, language. Um, it's like a secret code or it's like I can say things and my mom and dad don't understand what I'm saying type thing. Of course, mom and dad do, but we just pretend we don't. And then from there, once they totally love life <laughs> into it, then I will move them into um, Latina Christiana or first form Latin, which is structured around English grammar. So Latin is not difficult to learn at all when you are eight or nine years old and you're learning English grammar. Um, my daughter has just been, she's been getting both English grammar and Latin. And at one point she said to me, are we studying two or are we studying three subjects? Because I think it's just one, but I know you keep saying it's more than one, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it's just one. So just these resources have helped me so to make this experience for my children, where they, it's not onerous, it's not heavy. It, like my daughter was saying, it can't be more than one subject. Our oldest daughter is not naturally a good speller. That's not how her brain is wired, but she did do some Latin and it really helped her spelling. So she enjoyed that. I have seen so many good things come out of the study of Latin, not just in my own children, but other people's children. I just highly recommend it. Oh, I wanted to ask you, Hester. So are these resources that you've mentioned, are they available on your website? at classicaleducationbooks.ca? Yes, they are. I do have them available on my website. Okay, so as we said, we will have a link to her website so that you can get all of those amazing resources there. We do shameless plugs here on Canada Homeschools. So it's nice to have a Canadian supplier for classical education resources. What advice would you give someone just starting out in homeschooling? I would say that it would be helpful to change the words so that you you could make sure you get the right perspective. So I would say don't think about yourself as homeschooling uh, because in a way there's nothing school about it. Think about yourself as educating your child. Right. You have been educating your child, which is evident by the fact that they are walking and talking, likely they're potty trained or well on their way. They communicate with ease what they are feeling. These are all things that as parents, we were involved in, in educating our children. Uh, so it doesn't suddenly change tracks when they need to learn how to read. It's very simple to teach a child to read. Uh, so take it slowly. Don't put pressure on yourself or on your child to start 
suddenly conform to pattern or to a rule that is that is, you're being told you have to conform to. Uh, that may be fine. That that may be okay. But if you're thinking that it's too much pressure or it's somewhat unnatural to the relationship between you and your child, and then let it let it fall away a little bit or loosen up a little bit because you want to keep the relationship with your child intact no matter what. I'll guarantee you that if you talk to a child that was homeschooled, they will not ever tell you that they really wish their mom had made them finish a math book rather than that they would have had a good relationship with their mom. We want to love our parents. Our parents want to love us. So do that loving part. Don't worry so much about that textbook getting finished. I love that. There is so much to unpack just in that brief answer that you gave. I love what you said about that we're already educating our children. And there is no certain thing that happens once they turn from three to four in terms of what our relationship needs to be with them. We were teaching them the whole time. That's right, yeah. And also keeping that relationship intact no matter what. That is great advice. And the more people I talk to in these interviews, that seems to be the common theme that is coming out in every conversation is to hold on to their hearts and keep that relationship no matter what. So thank you for that. I don't know if you have any other advice or a word of encouragement that you could add to what you, the amazing things you've already said, but if you could leave the listeners with another word of encouragement, what would you say? Yes. Um, the one thing I'd like to say, like to leave as encouragement is um, one thing I've sort of touched on already is the threat, if you will, of the phone to the mother. Um, and I face this in a heavy duty way um, because my business is sort of on my phone. People can access me quickly with texting or email. And I always have this temptation to grab my phone and see if I need to respond or to deal with something out there. When the reality is that um, I should be dealing with what's in front of me first and foremost. And then after that, I can pick up my phone. Um, and so I think that we see this world where everything is getting faster and faster and report starting to say that people are lonelier than ever before. I think that as mothers, what we could do to stand against that is put our phones down instead of using your phone to play music. And I know this is harder to do. Trust me, I do know. Maybe try to find a way to play some, find a device where you can play music that isn't your phone. Find paper and pen and do handwriting. Invest in your community and see people face to face, not on Facebook, but your neighbor's elderly people. Take care of some babies for your friends. Have your children see the world in its fullness and all the people that are in it and put our phone, put your phone down as much as you can, because I think that that is going to be a threat to our children where they don't see their mom, they just see the back of their mom's phone. So if, if that, uh, if that's, if that's any help at all, that that's something that I really think will be helpful for our children. That's really great advice. And if I could add to that, there are ways to minimize our phone. And one of the ways is to turn our notifications off. And that can be true of our computers as well. So I don't actually have any audible notifications on my phone. And most days I even have uh, the ringer turned off as well. I do have about four email addresses that I work with, with my businesses uh, in this podcast. 
but I have certain times that I check them and the rest of the time I don't, it's going to be okay. So don't have your phone dinging and pinging and constantly demanding your attention. Just change your notifications in your settings so that if it's important, maybe just a visual notification when you happen to check your phone, but that your day isn't being interrupted all the time by all of those notifications. Yes. Yeah. Is your phone interrupting you more than your children? That's kind of my question that I ask myself. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. And we can also now phones have the capability of telling you how many hours or minutes you've been on there too. And that could be quite convicting and quite instructive. Try to uh, reduce our numbers, right? Yes. And another thing I thought of is that we don't have to give our children phones at too early of an age <laughs> and get them hooked to their phone at too early of an age, they don't really need a phone for the most part, especially when they're home. So for us, we had our, our older girls, they were able to get phones when they had a job and they could pay for their phone and they were actually away from home, you know, for their safety, etc. cetera. And, uh, and so we didn't give them phones when they were 10 years old. They were more like 16. <laughs> so that's something that we did as well along those lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for, for us, it's not so much of a question of how old does, do our children need to be before they get phones. Uh, something that I would observe closely is how good are they at uh, maintaining relationships, cultivating relationships, you know, communicating with others in all various ages. If they are good at that, then I would say, absolutely, let's, you know, like you say, you need a phone to be safe. You need a phone if you're going to babysit somewhere. Those are all good and true things. But I, I just think that we have to be careful that our relationships in the physical world are really, we strive to make those good. Um, it can be hard to do when you have this distraction and you can communicate with people see their emotion through your phone. But emotion is something we need to, we need to see in each other and we need to understand each other that way. Yeah, those are very good points. Well, this has been a great conversation, Hester. Thank you so much for your time, especially as we know that you are busy. I am sure that your words will be helpful and encouraging to the listeners out there. And I look forward to talking with you again about classical education and about the fact that you're a second generation schooler and how that informs how you interact in your family. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. My pleasure. Happy homeschooling, Canada. Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling, Canada! Hee <laughs> hee!